0: Welcome to Terps and the Pros on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Matt Levine, joined by Lila Bromberg and Jordan Gold today, and we'll be discussing your favorite Maryland, former Maryland Terrapins players in professional sports leagues we'll NFL recap of week one. We'll have a PLL update and some 2K ratings that we'll go over, as well as a big special moment for two Terps, former Terps, in the MLB. But we'll start with the NFL, and we'll look at Stefan Diggs as the first player. Minnesota only threw the ball 10 times in this game, and Stefan Diggs was targeted two of those 10 times, two catches for 37 yards. So, Jordan, why did Minnesota only throw the ball 10 times, and why did Diggs see just two catches?
1: Um, I mean, I think he said it right there. I mean, the lack of passing really... uh shows why Diggs had the game that he had. The the uh Vikings pretty much dominated this game against the Falcons. So I guess that is part of the reason for the lack of passing. But it also is probably a a bit of foreshadowing for the Vikings offense that this year they're gonna be more of a run first offense. They have a fully healthy Dalvin Cook back, which is huge because he hasn't been health he hasn't been too healthy his first two years in the league. And you know now that he's back and ready to go he should, he should be thriving in that offense. So I think the, the uh, emphasis on passing is going to be down a little bit. Mike Zimmer isn't the biggest offensive guy, not the biggest um, passing guy. So I'm not surprised to see this. But I do think that this game will probably be one of the worst for Diggs this season, if not the worst. I think he will bounce back and get back to his normal level of production.
2: I mean, you said he had two catches, but and he was only targeted two times. So it's not like he was, you know, getting all these balls and didn't make a catch. He, you know, made both balls that came his way. But I think if I'm the Vikings, I think it's a mistake to not use the talent wide receiver you have. Um, you know, you've got Stefan Diggs, you got Adam Feline. Like, why would you not pass to those guys and utilize them? I don't know if maybe it's because of the beginning of a season, if it has to do with what they're expecting from the Packers. Um, And their pass rush or anything like that, Um, but I I was really shocked to, you know, see them not going to those guys uh, as much. It was kind of disappointing. I was looking forward to maybe a big game from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely saw that. I mean, it wasn't just digs. Like Thielen only had three targets and only three catches. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, it's it's not like it was just digs. This is clearly something that was with their offense on Sunday against the Falcons, and I think that. I think that uh, this week against the Packers, I think it's going to ho- hopefully change for Diggs.
2: And I think one of them that may have played a factor into that, too, is that, you know, Stefan Diggs was questionable a little bit during the week, you know, missed a practice or two, and um, was coming off of some injury concerns, So maybe they were trying to kind of ease him back into it. I-, I think there's no way that they don't use the talent they have in both of those wide receivers this season. I think that would be a big mistake.
0: Well, they went up 14-0 after the first quarter, and then it eventually became 28-0. So I guess over time in this game, it just became, why would we throw the ball if we're winning by this much, just run the ball? And that's why Dalvin Cook had 21 carries, 111 yards, and two touchdowns. So that's where all the production came from, was really from Dalvin Cook in the run game. And I don't think they really needed to use the passing game at all to beat the Falcons. It was all domination from the Vikings.
2: And next week they're playing the Packers, which will be interesting. What if we see a little Stephon Diggs, uh, Darnell Savage kind of action? I would be very intrigued to uh, see see that and see how that matchup goes down. Who would you guys take in that matchup?
1: Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. I mean, that safety matchup. I mean, your pro- safety with the wide receiver matchup. You're probably not going to see that too often, but. I think it would be really cool to see I think I guess I'd have to give Diggs the upper hand just you know it's a veteran and speedster wide receiver but I don't know we'll see yeah
2: it's not likely but it, it could happen no, there's totally, always a possibility totally
1: especially on like a deep ball or something mm-hmm. like that
2: but yeah I think Diggs would probably just with the experience but I think that Savage would want to kind of prove himself against you know one of the best Terps in the league um, he certainly looked very hungry on a Thursday night
0: yeah so on Thursday night with Darnell Savage. We'll go right to that. First thing I noticed in this game was when they were announcing the players, I think it was either Jim Nance or Chris Collinsworth after said, isn't that last name fitting? His last name is Savage, and he plays like a savage if you talk to many people. He had three tackles in this game, and all of us agree that he played much better than just the three tackles that the stats say. I think he was all over the field. He was making great plays, whether it was – the guy she was covering didn't even get the ball half the time. So just three tackles, but I think that's a phenomenal outing in his first game in the NFL.
2: Yeah, and he did have this one big play that we'll kind of play right here. And one thing I also noticed is they were just saying his name all over that broadcast, uh, which was really exciting and fun to hear.
1: Trubisky, 8 of 13 for 71 yards. Fires
0: over the- which is good, and that's Savage making his presence felt tonight. He's just going to sit and then break up hard. He is not worried about anybody running behind him. He was all over
2: that thing. Great. So as they say, he was all over that thing, and he, you know, he really was. Um, that was a big play he had there on third down, having a huge pass breakup to force the fourth down, um, force them to punt the ball, force the Bears to punt the ball. Um, and I think he was—he played a big role in kind of Trubisky not having a great night, like you said, Matt, even when he wasn't recording stats, you know, he was having such good coverage on his guys that, you know, Trubisky wasn't even lo- looking the throw at them. And he was putting a lot of pressure um, just throughout the entire game and uh, had a really good showing, I thought.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a dominant performance all around for the Packers defense. I mean, to only let up three points to a team that's not known for their offense, but has a decent offense in the Bears I mean that's that's a dominant performance and like we were saying you only had three tackles you didn't fill up the stat sheet but you know that's sometimes expected from guys in the secondary you see it more so with cornerbacks who are you know locking down guys and maybe they won't have the uh biggest stats because I mean the ball is just not thrown their way and I mean that I think that can totally apply for safeties and I think that is definitely part of the reason why Savage's uh numbers don't jump off the page
0: So that was actually Al Michaels, not Jim Nance. So it was Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth who kept talking about Darnell Savage in this one. And how do you guys think he'll play against Minnesota this week? Minnesota, probably a little bit better of an offense than Chicago. So what do you think we'll see there?
1: Yeah, I mean, Minnesota certainly has a better receiving core. And also, I mean, probably a little bit better uh, running attack. So it's definitely going to be a bit of a tougher challenge for them. And I, I think he will play well, though. The Packers' defense looked really solid on the Thursday night, and I don't expect that to change. They look all around very, very good, and I think Savage's strong play will continue.
2: I think he's going to want to show out against Stephon Diggs. Uh, I know a lot of the guys in Maryland... Uh, you know playing at Maryland look up to him and I I think you know anytime they see a guy in the NFL they look up to them they're around the program and so you know they didn't play together but they know each other I'm sure he certainly looks up to him and what he's been able to do in the league you know obviously different positions but just to be able to make the league and um, make such a huge name for yourself as a Terp and I feel like he's going to want to kind of show off for him maybe a little bit I think uh, it'll be fun to see them uh, on the field together.
0: So we'll stay in the NFC North and go to the Detroit Lions with Ty Johnson at running back, former Terp. He had One carry for just six yards in that game. And obviously that backfield is really carry on Johnson's, but a little bit, he, I think that Ty Johnson was on the field. He didn't obviously just had one carry, but he, he didn't really see much production because it's carry on Johnson's backfield. So
2: I don't think carry on Johnson is that. I think he's a little overrated. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, no, I don't mean, know. No. I, I I think that Ty can compete with him.
1: Yeah, I think I on, to see more. I think Carry on solid, but I definitely think Ty is going to have some sort of role in that offense as the season progresses. I I think it's pretty normal though for a late round running back to only see. He only had one carry. He was on the field for eight snaps. I think that's pretty normal though at this point in the season. I think that those numbers will go up as the season goes on, and I think that he'll definitely have a chance to challenge Carry on for some of those carries.
2: <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. I mean, certainly, you know, Carry On Johnson has more experience. Um, and like you said, being a rookie, he's not going to get as much time, especially in those first games. But I think he can compete with Carry on Johnson. Ty Johnson um, has a ton of speed. That's pretty hard to match. And I don't think that Carry on Johnson has the same level of speed that he does, honestly.
0: Yannick Ngakwe of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I predicted to be the best standout Terp this season, had a pretty good day in week one, three tackles and one tackle for loss, but now a little banged up this week, did not practice today with a hamstring injury. So I think that'll be interesting to look out for this weekend and the rest of the season, because if a guy like that goes down, then Jacksonville's defense becomes, obviously they have one of the best defenses in the league, but they'll have a little bit of a hole there in the defensive line so I think he's a guy that they really need to rely on if he stays healthy Jacksonville will have a very solid defense and I think he showed out in game one of the season
2: I have to say I was pretty pretty disappointed Jordan and I went to Looney's we were told that Yannick Ngakwe was going to be there for moxley's <laughs> show and show up and we're like waiting and we don't see him coming we're like okay well like that was misleading maybe it's like a you know, interview call, and we were like, eh, that's disappointing, but like, at least, like, we'll get to hear from him, you know, we're trying to get him on the podcast, and so we're like, okay, like, at least we'll get to hear from him, and, uh, we, we never did, but, uh, we yeah, gotta yeah. have some drinks and hang out, so that was okay, they but, They had, uh,
1: Will Likely there instead. <laughs> yeah. Over the phone, but, yeah.
2: I thought we were gonna get to meet him. I was excited.
1: Yeah, I was excited, too.
2: It's okay, I got out of <laughs> class.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, but in Ngakwe, he had, he had a very solid game. He was, um, the highest uh, pro football focus grade for the Jags, D, at uh, 73. And I think he's going to have a big week this week against Houston. The, if you saw Monday Night football, the Texans' offensive line is certainly not their strong suit. Watson was banged up throughout the game. And I think that uh, he'll uh, have a big opportunity to be able to get to Watson and uh, the running backs in that uh, Texans' backfield uh Um, this Sunday, and I think he's gonna have a really good game.
2: Oh, such a good game, Saints Houston! Oh, yeah, just incredible. Um, and then another guy, DJ Moore. Uh, kind of an interesting start to the game for him as wide wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers. He had a fumble on the first play, his first touch of the game, correct?
1: Yes, Yes, he did. He did.
2: I have to say that was a little disheartening at first, but I think he came back and um really made a comeback with that finishing. You know, he was uh, targeted 10 times. He had 76 yards on seven catches. Uh, his longest was 15 yards. So, you know, didn't start off the game maybe the way that he would like to. But I think he ended up turning it around and looking, you know, pretty good. What do you guys think of how he looks?
0: Well, I think that after he fumbled, I think he was pretty much absent from the whole game until probably the third or fourth quarter. Because I really didn't see true. much from him. I, I don't know if Cam Newton didn't want to throw him the ball or wasn't confident in him, or he just wasn't getting open. But then at the end, he had 76 yards. So on seven catches, that's, that's a very, very solid day in the end. Obviously fantasy owners don't want him to fumble the ball, but he had a solid day yards wise. So he's, he's a guy that can really just break out for a hundred yards, any game. And last year, I think he, I think he did uh, twice. He had two touchdowns last season. So this year, I'm expecting a lot more from him. Obviously, to break out a little bit more, but I think Week
1: One is decent, and I think it goes up from here for him.
2: Also, Cam Newton didn't look great in that game.
1: Yeah, I mean they're playing a tough defense in the Rams, mm-hmm. but I mean I thought I thought Moore had a very solid day. I think he's. I projected him last week to be my breakout star this year, and I I was definitely content with uh, his seven for 76, but to be that breakout level, I he's going to need to find the end zone at some point. Definitely something he's struggled with in his short NFL career, but I think it, that will get better as the season goes on. But I think he's he's going to be in there. He's clearly solidified himself as the number one receiver in Carolina. He was targeted many more times than Curtis Samuel. And I think he's, he's going to continue to get better as the season goes on.
2: And also on the Panthers, uh, a big standout night for Jermaine Carter Jr., uh, getting that huge punt block uh, that was just crucial for uh, Caroline in that game. What do you got? I know I kind of said I wasn't sure how he was gonna do, but I liked I liked him on special teams. I liked him on that punt block.
0: Well, anytime you block a punt, that's that's a momentum changer for your team. So that really did help Caroline in this game. He also on the defensive side had four total tackles, three solo tackles. so, I mean, he he did pick up some tackles, wasn't too much, but the block punt really headlines his week. And if you get him on special teams to do that and get in the punter's way or be a very big threat on special teams and defense, that can can go a long way for Carolina. And those are
2: things that make big differences in games. You know, it's not just like, you know, a tackle and just one play. It's something that's going to, you know, completely change that, you know, momentum and just where everything's going.
1: Yeah, totally. I think Carter had a very solid game. I mean, obviously that block punt was the play of the game for him, but I think it's good to see he had four tackles. He seems to be getting some more playing time, and hopefully that'll continue uh, this Thursday as they take on the Bucks.
0: So I think Jermaine Carter's punt block is up there with Vernon Davis's hurdle touchdown for best play of former Terps this week. Might even be one of the best plays in the NFL as a, as a whole, so We'll go to Vernon Davis now. He had four catches for 59 yards on seven targets and obviously one touchdown. If you haven't seen that yet, please go look at that video. It was one of the most talented plays I've seen skillful, skillfully wise, but this guy is an ageless wonder. He hurtled the defender and didn't get tackled by, I think it was three guys on him after that and ran it all the way in the end zone. And I think he had something to play for, obviously with his grandfather passing away the day before this game and after he scored, he broke out into tears. So that was really something to see as a sports fan. And I think this shows Vernon Davis might have a, a really solid year if Jordan Reed is, is injured or not producing.
2: You think that's going to be his nickname from now on, the Ageless Wonder? I, I, I kind of like it.
0: I think it was Maryland football who tweeted it out, but <laughs> I do like it as well. I think, uh, I think he's 35 now, and he's, he's able to produce in the NFL. So if he can still do that, I think he'll be called the Ageless Wonder.
1: Yeah, I mean, Davis had a very, very solid game other than his great touchdown that people are already hailing, you know, as the catch of the year. We'll see if that gets topped, hopefully by if it gets topped by one of these uh, other Maryland receivers. But yeah, as as Matt said, I think if Jordan Reed is out, I mean, Davis is going to get targets. He's going to get the ball. And especially if Dwayne Haskins starts to play for the Redskins, I think a lot of times with the rookie quarterbacks, you see a lot of dump offs to the tight end. So that's only going to increase Davis's production if um, Haskins gets in there and if Reed continues to miss games which given his track record he probably will but I think Davis had a very solid game and it's definitely very encouraging for someone who I mean I said last week that I thought he was you know the so-called bust even though I didn't really think he was a bust I just thought he was kind of over the hill and done but I think he's he's proven me wrong
2: yeah, and that was great to see, like Matt said, that moment. Um, I know that was really emotional for him. That's got to be tough, you know, losing some of your close to and then going out and playing the very next day. Um, so I think you could have asked for, you know, a better kind of start to the season in that regard for him of getting that big play and having that moment. Um, and I think really then of the trips left, there's really only like one more that had like a big game. We'll talk about some of the other ones a little bit. Um, but the other one that had a big game was Quentin Jefferson for the Seahawks.
1: I mean, I think – I think Quentin had the biggest game of the Terps and the pros. I mean, he goes out there, he has six tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss. He hit the quarterback three times, and he defended two passes. I mean, that's that's a hell of a game for Quentin Jefferson. And I think they, they have a lot of injuries up front. Uh, Ziggy Yance is not playing. Jerron Reed is suspended uh, six games. So that has really opened the opportunity for Quentin Jefferson. And I think that as long as those guys are out, he's gonna continue to produce. He also talked about after the game, he said that uh with the addition of Jadavian Clowney, he's seeing a lot of double teams from the offensive line. So it's easier for her easier for him to sneak in and you know get to the quarterback. And I think that production is going to continue for sure.
0: Yeah, I think as Jordan just said, he probably had the best game of all these tariffs six tackles and two of those being sacks, that's...
2: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) Anytime
0: you get to the quarterback, that is just impressive. So I think he can do a great job in Seattle's defense. They're a team that's been known in the past couple of years. When they were going to those Super Bowls, they were known for for having a really solid defense. And then they fell off a little bit when they lost all of those guys in the Legion of Boom. So maybe they'll come back here with Quentin Jefferson and build another solid defense.
2: And also, like, he had those sacks against like Ben Roethlisberger like that's a big guy like that's a hard guy to take down so that's got to say something too about the kind of the power he's coming with
1: yeah they're actually playing the Bengals with Zandy Dalton but oh sorry they, they're played, playing they the played the Steelers, Steelers this, this coming my, week my mistake. yeah they're he will be playing against uh, Sean Davis Steelers safety and uh he was inactive uh last week in their blowout loss to the Patriots but uh his ankle seems to be doing better and he is expected to play
2: And also, Josh Woods was a healthy scratch, as was Byron Cowart. Um, And I think that's all the guys except for J.C. Jackson. He kind of had a quiet night uh, with the Patriots playing the Dolphins with one tackle. I'm just kind of annoyed with the Patriots right now. I don't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Jackson early in the game had a pass interference on Juju, who um, going back to last year, he defended Juju really well. But um, that was really the only noteworthy thing that happened. He wasn't. I mean, he was obviously solid enough that they only allowed three points. So, yeah, solid game from Jackson.
2: Now, I we don't have a lot of NBA action to talk about yet. We've got a little bit to go uh, to the season. But this week we had uh, Bruno Fernando have a special moment getting some recognition from Maryland basketball and getting his name put up in the Hall of Fame in uh, Highs Hallway. What did you guys think of that video watching that? You know, we had it on our Twitter. We had a little article about it on the site, so you guys can go see that if if you're listening right now and haven't seen it yet.
0: Well, personally, I don't really know what to think. I'm leaning towards, yeah, he deserves it, but I'm also saying he only played here for two seasons, and obviously you can't blame him. He should have gone to the NBA, which he did, and that was a smart decision. But just two seasons here at Maryland, obviously he was first-team All-Big Ten last year. And in the video, Turgeon says, anytime you're first-team All-ACC or now first-team All-Big Ten, you get onto the wall.
2: Yeah, that's what the hallways is wall. For.
0: Yeah, so... So, then,
2: so in that regards, he really does and, deserve it.
0: Yeah, in that way he does, but in a sense of, did he really perform, like... A, a guy who should be in a hall did, then I would say no. But because I mean of for what, that hall, because yes. of what the hall is for, I would say yes. He does deserve yeah. this I mean,
1: he's a, he's obviously not going to be someone whose whose jersey's hanging from the rafters in Xfinity Center, but certainly with his performance last year and obviously with the rules for being in that hall, he deserved it. And I mean,
2: you can't overlook yeah. averaging a double double. Yeah, right? I mean, like, Bruno, he was impressive last year. He's a great guy. Yeah,
1: Bruno was great last year and. You can just see from the video how appreciative he is to be, you know, forever immortalized here at Maryland. And I think he's uh, someone we'll definitely see around a lot uh, whenever he's not playing. But I think uh, I think it's something you're going to see more and more guys who are coming in here, freshman and sophomore, making, uh, you know, first team all Big Ten and getting up there, even, even if they leave, uh, you know, soon after that, just with the way college basketball has been trending.
2: Yeah, I see Jalen Smith making first team all Big Ten this year. Hope for so. For sure. But yeah, Bruno Fernando. You know his two K rating. I was not the biggest fan of. Um, I get it a little bit. He was seventy one overall, uh, eighty five dunk rating. You know, which which is pretty good. Like you know for him, like for him, I feel like it could be a little higher. But he's a rookie, so that's expected. Fifty nine point uh, on threes, which. I mean, I understand. He hasn't shown that he can pass the ball, so I think maybe his is a bit more fair than the others, but the other Terps, I was very upset by their 2K ratings.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much I agree with Kevin Herter's rating, given a 76 overall to start the year. 82 on threes and just 65 on dunks, and I think last season he showed he can dunk the basketball, he can drive to the basket. He was named to the all-rookie second team, so yeah, I think maybe seventy six is right around where he should be, somewhere as seventy six to seventy eight. But I think his dunk rating should be higher than sixty five.
1: Yeah, yeah, like he
2: showed he was athletic last year. You know.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think uh, I think Herder should definitely be a little bit higher uh, overall. I think eighty two is pretty, you know, on point for the three point uh, rating. But yeah, dunks should definitely be a little higher. He's he's very deceptively athletic. You could say. But I think I think going back to Bruno, I think that's that's pretty spot on for a for a rookie coming into the league. Yeah, I'm not round as pick. upset by his. Yeah, I mean is if he if he plays well, it'll certainly go up. But um yeah, I think I think that's pretty spot on for But him. here's
2: my thing with Herter, right? If you have Bruno Fernando who's an eighty five dunk rating, then by that logic I feel like Kevin Herter is just as good at threes. I feel like he should be an eighty five on threes. I don't know. I just Kevin Hurt upsets me. It should be more. <laughs> he'll he'll prove him wrong this season. Yeah,
1: and then we also had Alex Len coming in at a seventy-seven overall, and Jake Layman coming in at a seventy-five. Which, I mean, I think
2: that's way too low.
1: I think Layman is pr- pretty. He's pretty. I think that's pretty spot-on for him. Len, I think, is a tiny bit low. I think he's. Especially at the end of the season for Atlanta, he really showed a lot of strong production, and I think uh, that's that's going to continue this year. He's going to be battling it out with Damian Jones and I guess Bruno for that starting center spot in Atlanta. But I think he, I mean, in my opinion, he's definitely the best of the bunch there, and I think he'll he's going to have a huge huge impact. I think in their offense, Trey Young really seems to get him the ball, find him very nicely. So I think that's. It's going to continue.
2: But here's my problem with Lehman's, right? Like, it wasn't that much better than his rating in previous seasons, but he improved so much. You know, he went from averaging 2.2 points and then one point per game in, in you know, his first two seasons and then to 7.6. Um, you know, yes, he didn't get to play as big of a role as he would have liked on a really stacked team, but he, I thought he looked really good, you know, last season and, um, And so I was not the biggest fan of that. I felt like that, you know, should have been a bit higher for him. He was shooting over 50% from the floor. Um, Yeah, I just wasn't a big fan of it. And also he had a low dunk rating too, only a 60 on dunks. And uh, I I saw some pretty impressive dunks from him last season of, you know, dunking on some guys and really getting up there. So I don't know. I think there's always going to be discrepancies and stuff with uh, 2K ratings, but these were, I was a bit upset with, uh, yeah, I just wasn't the biggest fan.
0: So something I just thought of actually is something that I think 2K should do is they should implement all-time college teams in the pros. So Ooh,
2: I would, I would love that.
0: An all-time Maryland team in th- that players that went to Maryland who are, are currently in the NBA or were all-time in the NBA and do that with all the big schools for basketball. I think that would do very well for the video. I think game. you
2: just had a, like a money-making idea. Like that needs to happen. I would love to see that. But
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs>
2: okay, so who would be on your on your team if you're in, in 2K? Or like of these guys, of any of the, I guess just of these guys. Who would you want in the ball while you're playing 2K of, you know, these four guys?
0: I'd give it to Herder. I think he can shoot, he can drive, he can pass. He could really do anything more than the other guys that the terps have currently in the nba obviously bruno who is an electrifying player but he's more in interior game so i'd give it to herder
1: yeah i think i think herder is definitely the would i think he's probably the best overall of the bunch you know as a basketball player but certainly as a 2k uh, player but you know if they're if they're drawing up an all-time team i definitely want uh, stevie francis with the ball i think he would be the star on that uh, 2K team.
2: And the interesting thing with that if we did that is like it would then be like the pro versions of themselves, right? Because I think there's a lot of Maryland guys that didn't do as well in the NBA. And Kevin Herter is one guy, but I think it's gonna do really, really well. So I feel like give it a few years, I think I would still go with Kevin. I mean, you've had some turps that were really successful in the NBA, but a lot of times I feel like there's been there's been a decent amount of flops.
1: Yeah, definitely um, a lot of a lot of flops. And I think that Herter's potential success and Bruno and then the development of Len and Lehman I think that's that's really big for the program because you got to sell guys especially today on you know eventually getting to the NBA and having success and I think that the more guys that they they put in the NBA the better the recruiting will be
2: and I actually would play as Herder last season uh in 2k and even then like he was still pretty good on three so his three rating improved I think a little bit this year so uh, I'm excited to finally get the game and uh and play with him on there
1: yeah me too
2: now moving on uh to a league that isn't as popular yet uh that i think is really going to start taking off the premier lacrosse league the pll it was uh, for those of you who don't know we've been doing a bunch of coverage of it uh, in it's inaugural season it was founded by paul rabel who was the first uh you know, big time money-making lacrosse guy. And uh, he's not only playing in the league, but is on the business side, Um, they've gotten a ton of sponsorships. We're the first uh, pro lacrosse league to get, you know, the deals they were able to get with NBC, all these sponsorship deals. They've set a ton of records already for crowd attendance and pro lacrosse. But I think my favorite thing about this league is that there are 20 Terps on one team, uh, on the Whip Snakes, And, uh, the Whip Snakes are doing pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are heading to the first ever PLL Championship, and I heard an interview with with Rabel earlier this year, and I think it's they're doing really cool stuff with the PLL. I can't say I'm the biggest lacrosse guy, but I think that they're doing some really cool stuff, and I think I'll definitely be something I t- tune into, uh, especially with you know the impact that the Terps are making. You see Matt Rambo; he's been elected as an MVP candidate. The voting's still in the process, but I think that um, I think that it's definitely something that's you know on the rise in the American sports world.
0: Maryland has, is known to be one of the better lacrosse schools of all time, so it kind of makes sense that there are this many guys in this PLL. But to have nineteen now on one team is, it's kind of it's it's nice to see if you're. Oh if yeah, you're one got big, traded,
2: so it's nineteen now.
0: If you're a big Maryland lacrosse fan, it, this is nice to see because you can. Obviously you watch them in college, now you're gonna watch them in the professional leagues. And people have been calling them instead of the whip snakes, they've been calling them the whip terps, which is kinda of funny to me, but it's it's nice to see that they're going to their first ever championship because they had success at Maryland now they're clearly doing it at the next level.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think the reason that they've had that they're having the success they've had this season is because a lot they all like you know, of course you've got guys from other schools in there, but They're following a lot of a communication and play style from John Tillman's, uh, you know, playbook. They're all used, you know, even if they didn't play, a lot of them played with each other um, like the same year um, or like for, you know, a year or two. But even if not, they're kind of have this connection as Terps of just playing under a similar system. um, And they seem to really be loving playing with each other. And also um, getting some recognition, Kyle Burnlore was nominated for Goalie of the Year, and Michael Earhart was nominated uh, for the Brody Merrill Longstick Midfielder of the Year. And I actually went out to a game, uh, they decided to reignite the Maryland-John Hopkins rivalry uh, because there's a team, Atlas, with Paul Rabel on it that has a ton of John Hopkins players. And uh, it's funny, as you know, I'm sure a lot of people know at Maryland there's kind of a tradition of who gets to wear number one, and so there's a bit of a debate on the snakes against about who is get who would get to wear number one, and uh, it ended up uh, being Michael Earhart. So I asked him a little bit about it, and I thought it was a, a pretty funny uh, answer he gave. Yeah,
0: you know, we all wanted uh, me, Matt, and Connor. Um, I think it came down to the fact that I was the oldest. <laughs> Um, you know, I, when I was a senior, Matt was a rookie at Maryland, um, and, you know, I got to kind of mentor him when I was there. And then, um, obviously Matt kind of did the same to Connor. So
1: just, just
0: kind of happened to be, I was born first.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I think that's interesting that he talks about their mentorship. Um, a lot of them were mentors for each other and now we're all on the same team. Uh, Matt Rambo has just become a star for the PLL, like, um, you know getting this mVP nomination he led in points uh through the entire season um and it's it's been fun to watch it's a really fast style of lacrosse and I think uh, they did pretty good for their uh inaugural season and they'll be now playing for a championship in Philly
0: so we'll move on to major league baseball not many terps have had too much success in the MLB but I think we have to look at Brandon Lau in the Tampa Bay Rays. He, he was an all-star, and now he's out for the season, most likely out for the season. I don't think it's confirmed yet. But second baseman on the race who had a phenomenal first half and led his way to an all-star game. So I think he's clearly the best Terp right now in the MLB. But also Lamont Wade Jr., who's been up and down with the Twins. He was in AAA for a while, came up, then was sent back down, and now he's up again. And he recorded his first major league hit and RBI this past week. Huge moment for him. Huge moment. He was a ninth round pick by Minnesota and now is settling in in the major leagues. So that's something to look out for if you're the twins and if you're a Maryland baseball fan.
1: Yeah. And I think it was pretty clear that Lau was, you know, one of the leaders for the, uh, American League, uh, rookie of the year. I don't know if he'll still win it. You know, Michael Chavis from the Red Sox is also in contention there. So we'll see, uh, We'll see who ends up taking that home. But um, I also think it was cool to see Wade get get the call up. I mean, that's probably due to the uh, expansion of the rosters in September to 40-man roster. And also, Byron Buxton is out for the season for uh, the Twins. So I don't know if he'll be on the postseason roster. I'd say probably not, but you never know. And then also, uh, Adam Kalarek over with uh, Los Angeles has been, you know, a mainstay for their bullpen. He's pitching to a 3.27 ERA, which is very solid. He's been very good in the middle innings. And, you know, the Dodgers are the best team in the National League and, you know, certainly a huge World Series contender. So we could see a lot of Calerica uh, going down the wire into uh, October. And they're going to need him because the Dodgers bullpen is certainly the weakness of the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Dodgers, they basically blow out every team they play recently and you don't see that much in baseball but they're the first team to clinch the playoffs and I think you have to look at their offense if if you're the Dodgers obviously their starting pitching is also great with Ryu and Kershaw and other guys but really it's their offense that catapults them to the next level and that's why the Dodgers have been so successful runners up in the World Series last season but I think they have a shot to get back into the World Series and maybe win it this year. What do you think, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they're certainly the favorites in the National League. I think the Braves could give them a bit of a challenge. Maybe the Cardinals, maybe the Nats, probably not. But I think that the Dodgers will definitely uh, be back there in the uh, Fall Classic. And I think that Kaleric is going to play a big role because he's definitely been one of the bright spots for their otherwise murky bullpen situation. And I think that... I mean, this will be if they make it the third year in a row that they uh, that they make it to the World Series. But unfortunately for Kolarik, I think that uh, it will also be the third year that they lose in the World Series. I think that the Yankees and the Astros are a bit better than the uh, Dodgers. So whoever comes out of the American League, I think it's going to take it home.
2: That's got to be brutal, losing the World Series three years in a row. Like Just emotional toll that yeah. takes. That's got to be rough, coming yeah. so close and just, you know. But one turp did this week get a uh, championship, not in the MLB, but uh, in the minor leagues. Right, Matt?
0: Yeah, so Hunter Parsons, a name you probably know, just got drafted this past season with a starting pitcher here, one of the best starting pitchers at Maryland career-wise. And he led the Big Ten in wins in 2018, then got drafted by the New York Mets with the ni- in, in the 19th round. And now he's pitching for the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is the Mets' short-season single-A team. And they just won the 2019 New York Penn League Championship. So, obviously, that's an accomplishment for Hunter Parsons. And he's been doing pretty well for them. one and one record, a 2.89 earned run average, 11 games he pitched in, one save opportunity. Didn't get the save, but 18.2 innings pitched, 18 and two-thirds, 18 hits, and just six runs given up. And he has 21 strikeouts in those 18 and two-thirds innings. I think that is something that he did at Maryland. He struck out a lot of batters, and he's bringing that into the professionals, which is something to really look out for. And if you're the Mets, obviously right now you have a top three, arguably, pitching staff in the major leagues. So it'll take a while for Hunter Parsons to work his way up in the farm system, but a very solid pitcher right now for the Brooklyn Cyclones.
1: Yeah, and uh, while we're talking about Terps in the MLB, I think we'd be remiss not to mention uh, former Maryland pitcher Mike Sharon, who is now pitching for the Red Sox. He has been up and down from AAA to the bigs all year, and you know has found his way back because of injuries in the Re- to the Red Sox pitching staff and also the expanded rosters for September. He has struggled. He's pitched in ten games to an eight point two two ERA. innings pitch and 22 strikeouts which I mean hopefully for him he can uh turn that around and you know put in a lot of good work in the offseason and uh become a mainstay in their bullpen because they certainly need it I mean this is the Red Sox are a team that ran away with the World Series last year they were extremely impressive on offense their pitching stat, their starting pitchers were incredible and their bullpen really uh I'd say performed better than what they really are, and I think that that was exposed this year. their starting pitching struggled, and their bullpen was horrendous without Kimbrell. and hopefully uh for Sharon he can become uh, a mainstay in their pen and start producing
2: i mean it's crazy thing about just all the professional turps across different leagues um you know you've got new leagues starting up it seems like terps are really starting to take off a little bit more in the n b a uh just loaded in the n f l so uh it's definitely going to be exciting to watch, and you know we're happy to keep talking about it here on the Terps in the Pros podcast.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's also a lot of Maryland guys, former Maryland basketball players, who uh, will be playing overseas this year. Mellow
2: most, mo- yeah,
1: most notably Melo Trimble, who be who will be playing again in the NBL, which is the Australian basketball league. He's playing for the best team over there, over in Melbourne, which he was on the worst team last year. So. I mean, his stats were incredible last year. He was an MVP candidate, and I think uh, he'll continue to have success. I mean, that league is growing in popularity. You have Lamelo Ball, who's going to be playing in that league next year, and also RJ Hampton. So I think we might see some highlights from Ella Trimble this year.
2: And one interesting thing that I kind of heard just through different people who know him is he, he might be kind of, you know, considering staying there a little bit more than the NBA. You know, you're making a ton of money. Uh, Australia's got to be a cool place and also it's this place where he can be the star not you know have to ride the bench and you know go through you know the grind of the NBA season and like you said he was an MVP candidate and he actually uh was tied for you know most points per game and um averaging most points per game across the entire league and it'll be interesting now to see him go against guys that are considered to be you know top draft prospects and how more guys are coming over now instead of playing college basketball I think that'll just you know benefit him even more
1: yeah I definitely think that that added attention to the NBL for guys like LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton who are projected to be lottery picks I think that that can only help benefit Trimble because I mean the numbers he put up last year were I mean they were insane he he was incredible and I think it it uh shows you why he maybe didn't uh, try and make another run at the NBA and he quickly re-signed back in Australia because he really thrived there and you know you have a guaranteed payday there and you're balling there I mean why would you try and grind through summer league and training camp if you have a guaranteed payday in Australia and you're you're having fun and you're playing great basketball
2: and he can be a star but you know he has a ton of fans and it's, it's really interesting also. I'm excited we're actually going to get to watch him a bit more this year as the NBL gains more attention. They have a deal with ESPN where they're going to be showing some more of those marquee games so fans will Maryland fans will actually have a chance to kind of watch him in action, which I think will be really fun to see.
0: So we'll go right back to the NFL and make our predictions for Week 2 of the season. Lila, who do you think will be the standout this week for former Terps in the NFL?
2: I, I'm i going back and forth on that. Initially, I was going to say Diggs just because he didn't have that big of a week last week. But uh, I think that the Packers' defense is uh, kind of tough to go up against. So honestly, I think that um, of these guys, I think that DJ Moore might be able to have a, a good bounce-back week uh, Thursday night against the Bucks. I think that he might be able to get it. I'm going to predict he's going to get a touchdown on Thursday.
1: Gordon, how about you? Um, I think that uh, the breakout guy this week is going to be Yannick Ngakwe. Like I said earlier, he had a very solid week one. And, I mean, if he can play. If not, I'll I'll go DJ Moore. I agree with what Lila said. I mean, Tampa is not the best uh, pass defense, and I think he'll he'll have a very nice game tomorrow night. But if Yannick plays, I think that he will be the breakout guy because they're playing a Houston team that – that is not known for their offensive line. They just gave up two first-round picks to get Laramie Tunzel. So, I mean, that just shows you how desperate they they were to uh, acquire some talent on the offensive line. And Watson's always moving around in the pocket. I think that this could be a multi-sack game for Ngakwe. I'll take
0: Quentin Jefferson in this one, playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We saw the Steelers get absolutely dominated by the Patriots this weekend. So, I think going up against a better defense in Seattle, it'll be a little bit harder for Pittsburgh once again. And I think that'll be that'll open up a lot of doors for Jefferson to have another big game. Obviously, we said six tackles and two sacks last week. I think he could do something to mirror that, or if not even better, this week against Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see those guys play. As I said, I am most excited to see Stefan Diggs versus... Uh, darnell savage and uh, we'll have coverage for you of those games showing some of the best terp plays around the nfl and different leagues to studio times both on our website and on our twitter thank you for tuning in to the terps in the pros podcast we'll be back next week